Welcome back to the show of oddities. I'm Serafina. And I'm Miri. And what oddity are you feeling like today, Serafina? Today I am feeling like a handful of badger claws strung on a necklace. That's reasonable. And I, what about you? I am feeling like a 1900s wicker transport coffin. You're not oh. supposed to be buried in them. You're just transported in them. Well, how lovely. Feels very proper. So today, instead of talking about our weeks, we are just going to jump into our topic because it will be a long one. But before that, um, I do want to apologize. I'm a little, I was a little under the weather, so my voice is still acting a little under the weather. And also, last week I got acrylic nails, so if you hear a bunch of that, I'm very sorry. It's not the soundscape. It is me, and uh, I don't have any control over them. They have a soul of their own. So... With all of that in mind, today's episode, we will be walking down the hollowed roads of our past, searching for answers about our most holy day. If you are a person who follows the wheel of time, you might have heard about Samhain, the celebration of the summer's end and the veil thinning for our darker days in the Northern Hemisphere. Traditionally celebrated for three days, October 31st to November 2nd. We will start this path with talking a little bit about the etymology of this name. In American media, you might have heard it pronounced as Samhain. If you're an old Scottish Gaelic, it's Samhuin. And rarely it's pronounced Salmon. All of these names come from our old Irish Samhain. This celebration is as old as the Gaelic tongue and their oral traditions, but it's not written down as exactly why it's called what it is. If you tend to believe folk tradition, which I always tend to do, it's rumored to have local roots in the words summer's end, which makes sense if you're looking at the Coligny calendar. In the second century, the Celtic made a lunisolar five-year calendar of 62 months. The letters on this calendar are Latin, and this language is Gaulish, which was spoken by the Celts before and during the Roman Empire. So these roots are old and gnarly. This calendar shows that a festival was had for three days in what was then called the month of Sawoni, which is now how we get to Sawin. Words as old as time spoken by our ancestors. Can it get any more dreamy or I guess nightmarish? Erie, I know that you have admired some of the origins of our holy day. Would you disentangle those roots for us? I would be happy to. Before I get into it, I do want to apologize for my absolute horrible pronunciation of names and places in this section, because I'm American, and it's our job to butcher literally fucking Ditto. But I'm going to try our best. So we're going to start with the Irish mythology, and we are going to vary some, but we're going to talk about the actual origins of Samhain. While Irish mythology was originally a spoken tradition, much of it was eventually written down in the Middle Ages by Christian monks. I have a bullet here that says, thanks, I hate it, because it's very similar to Norse mythology, where... Or, like, anything good. Yeah, Yeah. literally anything good, because there's the chance that it's very edited, and I was kind of taken aback when I read this bullet point, but I did do some research, and and actually what was written down is fairly accurate, because that's always the biggest concern when something has been edited by Christianity, is that it's going to get fucked up, but in this case, it's actually fairly accurate, so I can't complain too much. According to Irish mythology, Samhain, like Beltane, was a time when the doorways to the other world opened, allowing supernatural beings and souls of the dead to come into our world. Samhain was 
quote, essentially a festival of the dead, which I think we're all fairly familiar with, but we're going to go into that a little bit deeper later. Ancient Celts marked Samhain as the most significant of the four quarterly fire festivals taking place at the midpoint between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. It marked the end of the Celtic year and the beginning of the new one, and as such can be seen as the equivalent of New Year's Eve. During this time of year, hearth fires and family homes were left to burn out while the harvests were gathered. I wanted to talk a little bit about the other fire festivals for people who don't necessarily know what they are or who are like me, always forget about them. I try my best, but uh, I am usually reminded of them the day that they're happening and then I have to aggressively put things out for the deities that I worship. Uh, Sometimes it'd be like that. I try to give you a couple days sometimes, but sometimes it's a swing and a miss. TikTok also tries to give me a couple days sometimes, (laughs) and it's not always perfect. Um, So in bulk is the celebration of candles, light, and fire. Beltane is the celebration of the greening of the earth and is often celebrated with a big bonfire. It is also considered the summer festival for the living. I think this is also considered the fucking holiday, as it's, I like to call it. It's like the spring one, basically, yeah. the beginning of summer and uh, every everything, even the animals, they're getting into Everybody it. Everybody getting it. The last one is Lamas. This is the first of the harvest festivals and celebrates the reaping of the grain. The Celts believed that night preceded day, and so the festivities took place on the eve of Samhain. The literature says a peace would be declared, and there were great gatherings where they held meetings, feasted, drank alcohol, and held contests. As it should be. (laughs) After the harvest work was complete, celebrants joined with Druid priests to light a community fire using a wheel that would cause friction and spark flames. The wheel was considered a representation of the sun and used along with prayers. Cattle were sacrificed and participants took a flame from the communal bonfire back to their homes to relight the hearth. I love the idea of that. I think the idea of a hearth being part of a home is super cool and something that we've really lost as we get further and further away from these traditions. I agree. I was kind of thinking about a way to do this in modern times because it's just a really cool idea to be able to have one fire, everyone takes pieces from that fire home because you can keep a fire burning for a really long time, even if it's just on a candle, so... Early texts present Samhain as a mandatory celebration lasting three days and three nights where the community was required to show themselves to local kings or chieftains. Failure to participate was believed to result in punishment from the gods, usually illness or death. Some documents mention six days of drinking alcohol to excess, typically meat or beer, along with gluttonous feasts. Where do I sign up? Yeah, I definitely would like that sign-up sheet when you're done with it. If you pass it to me, that'd be great. Perfect. So I actually did want to touch on, you mentioned cattle were sacrificed. Mm -hmm. But what is left out is that typically in farming, your cattle, like your huge herds, that's typically called, and called means killed, Right. in the fall, right before winter anyway, because it's way too expensive to feed all of your cattle through the winter and plus like there's ice they could fall it's a whole big thing i also imagine there's no crops to feed them right because yeah they were i mean probably you're growing not their own. yeah you're yeah. you're not getting a, a full handful of garden goodies every time you're going it's out it's not somewhere. like you can go to tractor supply yes exactly <laughs> um so that's still done today oh. so it might over time you know as they do rewrite things and we will get into that um it became like a cows were sacrificed to you know the ancient spirits or whatever and realistically these people 
were just being grateful that their herds had made it this far and were killing to honor their lives and hoping that their spirits are going to the places that they want them to go to. It wasn't like uh, our ancestors were sacrificing calves to the devil. Sure. I just wanted to make that clear. 100%. Um, because I think it's interesting, like, that's still done today, even by people who aren't religious or who are religious but aren't pagan. Like, in the fall is typically where you're going to see these mass slaughterings, if you will. Makes sense. So, back to the track, now that I can get off my little farmer pedestal. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the location. Typically, this was done in Ireland. There is a few uh, Scottish traditions laced in here as well. Uh, and we did talk about the Roman Empire. This isn't something that is sanitized just to Ireland, but it did start there. It actually started in two hills in the Boyne Valley, are associated with Samhain, Clacta and Tara. Clacta was the great fire festival location which began on the eve of Samhain. The entrance passage to the Mound of the Hostages on the hill of Tara is aligned with the rising sun around Samhain. The Mound of the Hostages is 4,500 to 5,000 years old, suggesting that Samhain was celebrated long before the first Celts arrived in Ireland. Archaeological investigation of Clacta has revealed evidence of intense burning on the hill, which has been dated from the mid-first millennium AD. This confirms folklore stories of the hill as a setting for the Samhain fires. So you are looking at these hills and valleys in this certain region of Ireland where people were traveling to to set up huge bonfires. And I mean, these bonfires are so big that it has affected them on a like a layer of rock that oh. they can go back to which is really cool that is really cool so what's going on with these hills and why are they such a huge centerpiece to this what i had found is that within the culture that there were stories and i know that you have a few stories as well um but the one that i found that i thought was interesting includes both the scots and the celts and that was that fairies had migrated from the summer hillocks to the winter barrows on Samhain night. If you had families that were captured by fairies that year, this was the one night you could win them back by snatching them off of their fairy mounts as they rode by. The famous Scottish legend Tem Lynn is the story of a faithful young maiden that rescued her lover from the fairies on this fateful night in these mountains that we've been talking about. So, Erie, what other stories have you gained from creatures on Samhain night? Yeah, so I'm going to start with the Boyhood Deeds of Fionn. Uh, the Boyhood Deeds of Fionn says that seed, fairy mounds, or portals to the other world were always open at Samhain. Each year, the fire breather Aileen emerges from the other world and burns down the palace of Tara during the Samhain festival after lulling everyone to sleep with his music. One Samhain, the young Fionn Mac Cumhale is able to stay awake and slays Aileen with a magical spear for which he is made leader of the Fianna. Hell yeah. The Boyhood Deeds of Fionn also tells how each Samhain the men of Ireland went to woo a beautiful maiden who lives in the fairy mound on Crogan Hill. It says that each year someone would be killed to mark the occasion by persons unknown. Some academics suggest that these tales recall human sacrifice and argue that several ancient Irish bog bodies, such as Old Krogan Man, appear to have been kings who were ritually killed 
some of them around the time of Samhain. This is super interesting to me. I will cover bog bodies sometime Hell yeah. because it's such a cool topic. It if you have not cool. heard of it and you can handle looking at pictures of those things, I highly suggest you do because the preservation that happens with bog bodies is just insanely cool. So more on that in another episode eventually. One Samhain, the other world being called Koldov, comes out of the burial mound on Slivanamon and snatches a roast pig. Fion kills Koldov with a spear throw as he re-enters the mound. Fion's thumb is caught between the door and the post as it shuts, and he puts it in his mouth to ease the pain. As his thumb had been inside the other world, Fion is bestowed with great wisdom. This may refer to gaining knowledge from the ancestors. I wish every time I slammed my thumb in a door, I got great wisdom. Me too. Instead, my fingernail just falls off and it's a horrible experience <laughs> for everyone involved. It's very like Spider-Man, like Spider-Door. Spider-Door. <laughs> In the Colloquy of the Elders, it tells how three female werewolves emerge from the cave of Kraken, an otherworld portal, each Samhain, and kill livestock. Which, I want to cover lichenism in another episode too, because Definitely. that's one of those things that's in a ton of different cultures. Yeah. Very interesting. When Kas Korok plays his harp, they take on human form, and the Fianna warrior Kelte then slays them with a spear. There's a lot of spears going on here. There's a lot of here. spears. Some specific monsters were associated with the mythology surrounding Samhain, including a shape-shifting creature called a puka. Yeah, puka. That receives harvest offerings from the field. They still have a puka festival. That is amazing. Yeah. Do you know what they look like? No. No clue. More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> Editing Eerie here. According to Wikipedia, puka were said to have dark or white fur and were shape changers so they could take the appearance of horse, goats, cats, dogs, and hares. They may also take human form, which includes various animal features such as ears or a tail. The Lady Gwyn is a headless woman dressed in white who chases night wanderers and was accompanied by a black pig. Hmm. It's usually a black dog, so a black pig. It is interesting. Interesting. The Dulahan sometimes appears as impish creatures, sometimes headless men on horses who carried their heads. They're described as riding flame-eyed horses, and their appearance was a death omen to anyone who encountered them. Hmm. What's interesting is uh, these type of creatures are used in live-action roleplay a lot. I haven't really? talked about that on the podcast before, but um, I do live-action roleplay. I have for like 10 plus years now. It's insane. But Dulahan is something that we've actually encountered before at LARP, and in those stories, they do appear as headless, and basically the lore is that if they kill you they get to absorb your power so if they kill multiple people they are like super powerful and crazy damn and we had a very fun experience where a good friend of mine named Corey, if you're listening to this Corey, hi Corey. uh he's a very fast runner okay. he is he is a wiry very fast man okay and he was playing a dulahan at about three in the morning when oh, all no. of us are tired oh, as fuck. No. We're done. We're oh. hanging out. Uh, for anyone who who doesn't know, my character is a warrior-type character. I do a lot of combat. I'm also very fucking lazy. And this man, by the time we have found him, has killed a bunch of people. Oh, gosh. He's strong as hell. Oh, no. We're chasing him through the woods at 4 a.m. I do not run. I'm old. <laughs> I have never ran, honestly. It's just even worse now. Someone had to catch up to him and tackle this man. Oh, gosh. And in this story, you had to drag the body back to his, like, sarcophagus or coffin or whatever and chain him down. 
Hmm. And we had to do that at 4 a.m. Oh my Thanks God. for that, Corey. Never forget. What a homie. Dulahan. <laughs> a group of hunters known as the Fairy Host might also haunt Samhain and kidnap people, similar to the Slough, who would come from the west to enter houses and steal souls. The Fomorians, who are a supernatural race that were often portrayed as being hostile and monstrous beings, were another creature or story. Originally, they were said to come from under the sea or the earth, Hmm. and later they were portrayed as sea raiders and giants. They seem to represent the harmful or destructive power of nature, personifications of chaos, darkness, death, blight, and drought. Osi, the spirits or fairies, the little folk, could also come into our world more easily. Many scholars see the AOC as remnants of pagan gods and nature spirits. Hmm, that's really interesting. What's interesting is that there's so many ghost stories around this time, of course, because what were the olden days of not superstitious? But there was also a lot of, like, personal magic being done at the time, including a lot of divination, which we will talk about in a future episode um, about how that still occurs with Halloween today, or Samhain today, about how divination will still be affected. We'll actually talk about it a little bit later as well. But those with the second sight, which is called Tabasir in Scots Gaelic, were often sought this night for traditional fortune telling. These persons were invited to gatherings to entertain guests with their arcane arts. One method was to prick an egg and let the contents drip into a glass of clear water, which we still see today. I've seen a couple of people do that on TikTok this week alone. The um, tapestry could read the shapes much like a crystal ball and predict the supplicant's future. Apples were the fruit of the other world, a land sometimes called Avalon, the Isle of Apples. These are often used for magic and fortune telling. A young woman would peel an apple all in one pairing and throw it over her shoulder on Samhain Eve. The peeling would take the shape of the first initial of the man she would marry. Eating an apple in front of a mirror while combing your hair will conjure your true love's image to appear in the mirror. Another tradition is dunking for apples. You heard that right? I think everyone knows what that is. Apples are placed in a tub or barrel of water and dunkers will try to retrieve those apples with their teeth. Those who succeed will have a good fortune the following year. What's interesting is that we know from our media that like they were all extremely obsessed with marriage because that mattered. Like the family line and all that really mattered. So not only do we have apple peelings and all this other stuff, we also have hazelnuts, which I have not ever heard. Uh, And they were also used for matrimonial divination. The groups of sweetheart hazelnuts were placed within the hearth's fire and one group was marked with the names of the village's eligible maidens and the others with the eligible bachelors. And as the nuts popped, the names of the pairs were romantically linked. On a more somber note, people sometimes placed a hazelnut with their initials on them in the hearth fire, and if the nuts were missing the next morning, that unlucky person would not survive the year. Hazel is a sacred tree in Irish and Scottish mythology. In Ireland, nine hazel trees grow around the well of Sigais, where the sacred salmon lived. This was the source of all wisdom. Using hazelnuts at Samhain availed seers of that sacred wisdom. Isn't that really interesting? That is insane. I've never heard of hazelnuts. Apples make sense. I feel like the apple vibe of like fortune telling shows up a lot in media, like yeah. Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fairly common. 
but I had never heard of hazelnuts being used for something like that. I just consider that a coffee creamer flavor. So <laughs> I did, I did too for a while, but now all this time for my roots, I've just been throwing a little bit of magic in my coffee. Yeah, which is exactly. always really nice. My roots too. So good to know that uh, happy accidents. Hey. So we kind of mentioned offerings earlier when we were talking about cattle, but I did want to go into it a little deeper. So Samhain was considered to be a dangerous time in the Celtic mind and numerous rituals involved protection. Because the barrier between worlds was breachable during Samhain, they prepared offerings that were left outside villages in fields for fairies or sits. Skulls with candles in them might have been hung in trees either to invite these spirits of the dead or to scare off the city. Hmm. Why don't we do that still? <laughs> Skulls and trees? I mean, I would like to. I would also like to. In the Book of Invasions, each Samhain, the people of Nemed had to give two-thirds of their children, their corn, and their milk to the monstrous Fomorians, who we mentioned earlier. Two-thirds? Two-thirds. Like, if you have three kids, you give them two, or you give them two-thirds of your kid's body? Like, I'm confused. I I imagine it's the entire kid, not just two-thirds of a kid. This tribute paid by Nemed's people may represent a sacrifice offered at the beginning of winter when the powers of darkness and blight are in the ascendant. It was believed that the AOC needed to be propitiated to ensure that the people and their livestock survived the winter. Offerings of food and drink would be left outside for the AOC, and portions of the crops might be left in the ground for them. People also took special care not to offend the AOC and sought to ward off any who were out to cause mischief. They stayed near to home or, if forced to walk in the darkness, turned their clothing inside out or carried iron or salt to keep them at bay. I had never heard the inside out clothing thing. I've heard iron. I've heard salt, but never inside out clothing. So if you accidentally have your shirt inside out, just know. You're being protected. In Southern Ireland, it was customary on Samhain to weave a small cross of sticks and straw called a parshell or parshal, which was similar to the Bridget's cross in God's eye. It was fixed over the doorway to ward off bad luck, sickness, and witchcraft, and would be replaced each Samhain. Seems like witchcraft. Every time. You gotta do what you gotta do. According to the later Din Shen Chaus and the Annals of the Four Masters, which were written by Christian monks, Samhain in ancient Ireland was associated with a god or idol called Krom Krauch. The texts claim that a firstborn child would be sacrificed to the stone idol of Kromkrauk in Magschlecht. They say that King Tigernmoss and three-fourths of his people died while worshipping Kromkrauk, their one Samhain. Just one? Just one Samhain, three-fourths of Damn. his people. crazy bonfire. So let's talk about the spirits or the as I call them, the dead walking in my section here. So the actual spirits of people and not necessarily creatures. The souls of the dead were thought to revisit their homes seeking hospitality. Places were set at the dinner table and by the fire to welcome them. James Fraser suggests it was perhaps a natural thought that the approach of winter should drive the poor, shivering, hungry ghosts from the bare fields and the leafless woodlands to the shelter of the cottage, which makes sense. However, the souls of thankful kin could return to bestow blessings just as easily as that of a wrong person could return to wreak revenge. The belief that the souls of the dead return home on the night of the year and must be appeased seems to have ancient origins and is found in many cultures throughout the world. I included that bullet in there because the idea that a certain thing 
reflects in multiple cultures around the world where they had no way of communicating during this time to right. each other. And all of them have the same idea. Makes it feel more real to I me. I agree. I feel that way about dragons. I included yeah. that in here. And I feel that way about sleep paralysis, and we will be talking about that next week. I will not be talking about dragons next week, but sleep I paralysis. I were. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but I thought it was cool, and I wanted to include it because I think yeah. that's absolutely fascinating. There's There has to be something there. There has to be something there. There's no way there's not something there. So let's get into mumming and guising. Mumming and guising was first recorded in 16th century Scotland and later in part of Ireland, Man, and Wales. A mummer, according to Celtic and Nordic folk traditions, is not only someone who disguises himself to perform in seasonal plays, he is also a being that walks between the worlds, between the mundane and the spiritual. It involved people going from house to house in costume or in disguise, usually reciting songs or verses in exchange for food. In Ireland, costumes were sometimes worn by those who went about before nightfall collecting for a Samhain feast. In Ireland, in the late 18th century, peasants carrying sticks went house to house on Samhain, collecting food for the feast as well. It may have evolved from a tradition whereby people impersonated the AOC, or the souls of the dead, and received offerings on their behalf. Impersonating these spirits or souls was also believed to protect oneself from them. S. V. Petal suggests the geysers personify the old spirits of the winter who demand reward in exchange for good fortune. In Scotland, young men went house to house with masked, veiled, painted, or blackened faces, often threatening to do mischief if they were not welcomed. This was common in the 16th century in the Scottish countryside and persisted into the 20th. It is suggested that the blackened faces comes from using the bonfire's ashes for protection, which that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. In Ireland in the late 18th century... Nope, I already said that earlier. You sure did. I sure did. Because I moved it and didn't delete it. Mm. In parts of Southern Ireland during the 19th century, the geysers included a hobby horse known as the Lair Bahan, or a white mare. A man covered in a white sheet and carrying a decorated horse skull would lead a group of youths blowing on cow horns from farm to farm. It's really cool. It's very neat. <laughs> at, at each... At each house or farm. Yeah. yeah. At each house or farm, they recited verses, some of which savored strongly of paganism. I hope it did. I hope it did, too. And the farmer was expected to donate food. If the farm eater... Farm eater. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> if the farmer donated food, he could expect good fortune from the muckola. Not doing so could bring misfortune. This is akin to the Mary Lude, which is the Grey Mare procession in Wales, which takes place at midwinter. I had a note in here for one of us to cover that eventually, because most of the pictures of the whole, like, horse head on a sheet is from that. Mm. So I think one of us should definitely cover it eventually. Yeah, it definitely seems like a Christmas episode or something. Yeah, absolutely. Elsewhere in Europe, costumes, mumming, and hobby horses were part of other yearly festivals. However, in the Celtic-speaking regions, they were particularly appropriate to a night upon which supernatural beings were said to be abroad and could be imitated or warded off by human wanderers. Hmm. Playing pranks at Samhain is recorded in the Scottish Highlands as far back as 1736 and was also common in Ireland, which 
led to Samhain being nicknamed Mischief Night in some parts, which I have heard that multiple yeah, times and had yeah. no clue where it came from, yeah. so it's kind of neat. Wearing costumes at Halloween spread to England in the 20th century, as did the custom of playing pranks, though there had been mumming at other festivals. All of the customs that we were just talking about basically could have led to trick-or-treating as we know it today. No, it actually did. Yeah. So, we'll talk about this a little bit in the Halloween episode, but because of the potato famine, these customs coming to America led to trick-or-treating. Yeah, I have a bullet talking about that a little later, but absolutely makes sense. Alternatively, trick-or-treating also might have come from All Hollow Tide custom of collecting soul cakes. So I had heard of soul cakes before, but wanted to include what they actually were in this episode for people who hadn't heard about them. So a soul cake is a small round cake, though they were more resembling a shortbread biscuit Mm. with sweet spices, which is traditionally made for Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day to commemorate the dead in many Christian traditions. Hmm. The cakes, often simply referred to as souls, are given out to solars, mainly consisting of children and the poor. Death-related food is actually one of my special interests that I really got into over the past couple years. I ended up making some, like, funeral-related food, and I have, like, a funeral food cookbook. Mm -hmm. Um, So while I was researching this, I did look up soul cake recipes, and I will definitely be making them. I mean, I love a shortbread. Me too. So I'm down. Shortbreads are also very easy to make if you're a lazy person like me. The traditional illumination for geysers or pranksters abroad on the night in some places was provided by turnips or mangle wurzels hollowed out to act as lanterns and often carved with grotesque faces. Yeah, they were. And they were grotesque. They were also set on windowsills by those who made them. The lanterns were variously said to represent the spirits or supernatural beings or were used to ward off evil spirits. These were common in parts of Ireland and the Scottish Highlands in the 19th century. In the 20th century, they spread to other parts of Britain and became generally known as jack-o'-lanterns. So I was curious, when did they become pumpkins and why do we call them jack-o'-lanterns? Its name comes from the reported phenomenon of strange lights flickering over peat bogs called will-o'-the-wisps and jack-o'-lanterns, which I had no clue that they were called that. Mm -hmm. The name is also tied to the Irish legend of Stingy Jack, a drunkard who bargains with Satan and is doomed to roam the earth with only a hollowed turnip to light his way. Damn. Sucks to suck. (laughs) Jack-o'-lanterns carved from pumpkins are a yearly Halloween tradition that developed in the United States when Irish immigrants brought their root vegetable carving traditions with them. Yeah. Like we said earlier. It's a huge thing, man. So let's get into the part that I will continuously rant on, (laughs) and in many episodes I'm going to shit on the Christian church, and I'm going to keep doing that. So I labeled this section, Christians ruin everything for real for real, because Mm -hmm. that's exactly what happened. Pope Gregory I also known as Saint Gregory the Great, who headed the church from AD 590 to AD 604, advised a missionary going to England that instead of trying to do away with the religious customs of non-Christian peoples, they would simply convert them to a Christian religious purpose. Pope Gregory I is known for instigating the first recorded large-scale mission from Rome, the Gregorian mission, to convert the then-largely pagan Anglo-Saxons to Christianity. My bullet point here says, what a punk bitch, to be honest. Me and all my homies hate Pope Gregory I. (laughs) Agreed. And I am a homie. You're the homie. 
Frederick Supp, a historian specializing in Celtic and medieval history at Ball State University in Indiana, says the ancient Celts believed that all sorts of threatening spirits were out and about on Samhain. The early medieval Christian church believed in saints, Christians who were remarkable for their devout religious beliefs and lives. But saints also had a supernatural side, such as their involvement in miraculous occurrences. So, the church mixed the traditions involving Celtic spirits and Catholic saints. In the 800s, the church designated November 1st as All Saints Day. So, what was this jank-ass holiday they decided to make all about? All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows Day, the Feast of All Saints, the Feast of All Hallows, the Solemnity of All Saints, and Hallowmas is a Christian solemnity celebrated in honor of all the saints of the church, whether they are known or unknown. What is all those names? That's <laughs> This holiday has no name, so we gave it all the names. My favorite was Hollowmas. Hollowmas like, Because we have good. Christmas, and yeah. it's like, are we just, we're just putting mess in there. We're just throwing a mess. Calling it a day. Well, was it Hollow Mass? Are these Catholics? Was it Hollow Mass? It doesn't have two S's. You're right. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Some of the Halloween traditions can be seen in the festival surrounding All Saints Day. There were traditions of ringing bells for the souls in purgatory. Poor people, mostly children, would go from house to house souling, which we talked about earlier. That's where they get their soul cakes in exchange for prayers for departed loved ones. People even wore costumes in order to protect themselves from wandering souls of the dead. But guess what? No one liked their bunk-ass holiday. So... (laughs) Folklorist Jack Santino wrote in a 1982 article for the American Folklife Center that the old beliefs associated with Samhain never died out entirely. The powerful symbolism of the traveling dead was too strong and perhaps too basic to the human psyche to be satisfied with the new, more abstract Catholic feast honoring saints. What is dead may never die. (laughs) What is dead may never die. Instead, the first night of Samhain, October 31st, became All Hallows Day evening, the night before the saints were venerated. That name eventually morphed into Halloween, and it became the time where Christians could turn the supernatural symbolism and rituals of Samhain into spooky fun. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we love to mock paganism rituals. Ugh. Always. (laughs) So lame. I mean, we talk often. It's not unlike this podcast for us to not talk about how whitewashing things never turns out as you'd want them to, but... For them to just be like, yeah, we're gonna, we're not even gonna make this one about Jesus. We're gonna no. make this one about other saints. Like, of course, people, you took away them honoring their ancestors to honoring saints. Like, of course, that wasn't gonna work. Good try, good play, fair play to you, bud. All right, so now that we know how the Christians decided to piss all over this day, let's refocus, as we should, because this is a holy day for us. And let's rub it in their faces by celebrating it correctly now. I'd like to start off this section with a quote from Maria Ed Weaving. Samhain teaches us how to recognize what must die and what must live in our lives. It can bring some tough realization, but its transformative energy gives us the opportunity to live a more authentic life. In our northern hemisphere at Samhain, we can walk in the forest and smell the rich, woody earthiness of the mulch beneath our feet the wet, rotting mass breaking down gradually, but relentlessly into the food that will sustain the forest life. 
In less temperate areas of the planet where the changes of the seasons are fewer, this vital transformation is crucial for the continuation of a forest life, and it must come from other means. Fire plays its part, stripping back whole areas to charred plains that on the first observation are distressing and lifeless. However, the nutrients from the ash prepare the ground for new life, just as effectively as the moist, rich compost of our woodlands, and are as necessary to the survival of those habitats. Of course, as the tree of life that I cosplay now and again, isn't that just so me? It is. Absolutely stunning. Because that's what the celebration is to me. It's time to gather up your harvest, fill your stores, and appreciate the earth around you as it prepares to rest, as it repairs itself. There are so many ways to celebrate from within your own home, also all over the globe. What once was a small festival in the villages on hillsides is now a globally celebrated holiday. From October 31st to November 1st, you can find Wiccans and Neo-Pagans to Ireland citizens, and you can find fires and solarites wherever the veil is thin. I went looking to see what I could find for more traditional celebrations, and I found a few old-fashioned festivals. The fire festival ceremony at Clacta was revived a few years back, and all are welcome to attend. Participants assemble in the nearby town of Athaboy at around 7 p.m. on the 31st of October. From there, the gathering proceeds to the Hill of Ward, bearing lighting torches and candles. And on reaching the site, great fires are lit and the festival-associated pageantry begins. Which, I want to go there. I want to, yeah, you said that. I want to go to there. coach. Yeah, definitely. There are Samhain festivals all over Ireland and the UK, from Tara to Longcrew to Rathlockford celebrations, and they're being prepared, and everyone is welcome to honor the ancestors and step over the threshold to the new year. This year, Dairy Halloween is called Awakening the Walled City. In 2022, the ancients will return to Dairy's spirit worlds, each representing a different spirit of Samhain. The myths and mischief of Samhain will be interwoven throughout connecting our city to the worlds beyond the walls. Choose the Samhain spirit you connect with the most and move through the city, soaking up installations and atmosphere, myths and magic as each world showcase music and mischief to fill the imagination. You can find them on Instagram at Dairy Halloween. That's where I found that information. It's super cool. Their Instagram's pretty cool. Uh, I just, looking at all of this, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. It's very cool. And something needs to be done here for it. I don't know where. I don't know how. But, like, I would love to have, like, a crazy, like... Bonfire. Yeah, like, where they do, like, the Renaissance Festival. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just, like, get everybody there. and Like, let's go wild. Mm-hmm. Many of us celebrate Samhain over the course of several days and nights, and these extended observances usually include a series of solo rites as well as ceremonies, feasts, and gatherings with family, friends, and the spiritual community. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, many pagans celebrate Samhain from sundown on October 31st through November 1st. Others hold Samhain celebrations on the nearest weekend or full moon closest to this time. Some pagans observe Samhain a bit later uh, or near November 6th to coincide more closely with the astronomical midpoint between the fall equinox and winter solstice. Most pagans in the Southern Hemisphere actually uh, do their observances to coincide with the middle of the of their autumn. 
in late April and early May, which I thought was interesting um, to have it in the non-traditional time. Mm -hmm. But it's still, you know, that's when the veil is thinning at that point. It's when it's when things are changing. Mm -hmm. But even though we sometimes celebrate at a different time, there are many ways to celebrate. I did find a list of celebrations at circlesanctuary.org, which is a pretty cool website if you're into the craft. To give you a more well-rounded idea of ways to celebrate more than just what we do here. The first one that we start out with here is going to be pretty big for most Wiccans, which is the Samhain Nature Walk. It's actually one of like the first things I heard when I was looking into paganism was taking this meditative walk in a natural area near your home. Mm -hmm. um, and just to be observing, like I said earlier in my quote, the decomposing of the forest around you, the change in the leaves, the atmosphere around you. And uh, it's really cool. If you are in an area that you can do this, uh, taking, you know, a nice crispy leaf with you is not a problem. Mm -hmm. But uh, don't be stealing things, y'all. What is the, what's the line? Leave only footsteps, take only memories. <laughs> Another one is, of course, going to be seasonal imagery. You're decorating your home with Samhain seasonal symbols, the colors of orange and black. Decorating for Halloween doesn't just have to be this capitalist hellscape. It actually can be intentional. Um, placing autumnal wreaths on your front door, displays with pumpkins. You know, you should really carve out a turnip just for good time's sake. Just for old time's sake. <laughs> Mentioning pumpkins here is actually uh, kind of cool because I pick a pumpkin for my altar every year. Yeah. I usually get a smaller one that's flat on top because uh, Witch Pajamager Hour, which is another podcast, yeah. uh, they did a prosperity spell with a pumpkin involved mm. that I do every year. It's super cool because, fun fact, if your pumpkin is inside and it's in good shape, it will last for months. Yeah, I actually grow pumpkins to store. Yeah, so I will you know, go to a pumpkin patch, pick one that has a flatter top so I can do my spell work on it, and then it'll sit on my altar until it rots. So. That's really cool. Huh, how interesting. Speaking of altars, uh, and a good thing to do at this time is also to gather photographs, heirlooms, and other mementos of your deceased family, friends, and companion creatures. You want to arrange them, of course, and maybe light a kindle or two for them and sit quietly and pay attention to what you experience. Thank them for being a part of your life. This is, once again, the veil is thinning, and this is the time of the year to really honor the people and souls that have helped you. A feast for the dead is also something very common where you prepare a Samhain dinner and you include a place setting at your table or at a nearby altar for the dead. We have heard of this in many cultures. We talk about it more in the Halloween episode, but I've, you know me and my tangents. I mean, this is not Look at the Day of the Dead. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This is all, it's so very similar. This is the time of the year that you want to have an experience. You want to share a meal with your people, with the souls that matter. Ancestor stories. I mean, you want to, if you're around family, it's nice to talk about the people that you want to honor at this time. I mean, there is a, there is a sit in silence and eat supper in silence and sit with intention but there's also a gather around a bonfire and talk about the people that you love something that's also pretty common is cemetery visits so eerie you might find yourself strolling around spring grove you know a couple of a couple of miles for this time of year just 
calling to mind memories and considering ways that loved ones continue to live on without you. It's so well noted throughout time of people doing that during this time. Uh, reflections and renovations are also good at this time. Release what is no longer needed. Create a better pattern. Uh, bonfire magic, which I did talk about before, uh, is huge. Uh, if you can't do a whole bonfire on a hillside, <laughs> a small bonfire in your backyard or at a park would work as well, as long as it's in a fire-safe place. Don't get any crazy ideas. Write down outmoded habits that you wish to end and cast it into the flames as you imagine release. Imagine yourself adopting a newer, healthier way of being as you move around the fire clockwise. Like we had talked about with the divine and divination, using tarot, runes, scrying, or some other method of divination, seek and reflect on guidance for the year to come. Divine invocations and honoring and calling upon the divine in one or more sacred forms associated with Samhain, such as the crone goddess or the horned god of nature, invite them to aid you in your remembrance of the dead and in your understanding of the cycle of life, death, and rebirth. Transform your expressions. Uh, it's important during this time to encounter distortions and misinformation and rebuke them. Rebuke is such like a Christianity word, but I love it. It's I a love cool it. Word. Mess that shit up, baby. You're hearing false negative stereotypes about paganism or Salwin, Sam Hain and the media. <laughs> Fuck them up, you know? Contact the source or express your concerns. Share accurate information. Help eradicate derogatory stereotyping with courteous, concise, and intelligent communications. I mean, this really is the time to dust out the cobwebs of nasty shit and make sure that what's going to be feeding your forest, your mind forest, my mind forest, <laughs> as I am as a person, um, you want to make sure it's healthy. And lastly, community connections. Connect with others. Um, organize a potluck, you know, have a feast. Make sure you're COVID safe, need be. Um, exchange ideas, information, and celebration. This is the idea of taking a small piece of fire back into your home. Light a candle, take it home, give it love, and be safe. Be fire safe, please. Mm -hmm. For centuries, Samhain has been known as one of the most powerful nights for spell work and divination, which is, of course, have always been a part of this Halloween framework of evil caricatures with no resemblance to any living witch I've ever met. Magical workings done during this time is full of the last of summer's kinetic energy and winter's potential energy. Banishing and protection spells will receive an extra boost. You will find that astral projection is easier during this time as well. The old ways of divination were not a farce. You will find clearer answers during this time. The veil is thinner and spirits are more willing to speak if you're willing to listen. This is a time for reflection, as I said, and tarot and scrying will give you stronger results in this time as well. This is a wonderful time to get connected with your runes if you have them. So I thought maybe we would talk a little bit about what our plans are to celebrate. Um, I'll go first, of course, because I know I'm, I will probably talk for longer. Um, because I do personally focus on reflecting. That's why I have... It's not propaganda. I just do think it's a good time of the year for it. Um, letting go of what no longer serves me and focusing on what I need to improve in this time. Like I said, my mind forest matters, but my actual forest matters too. I do the same in my gardens. 
During this time, I will be pulling up tubers that need to be stored for the winter and putting in daffodil bulbs for the spring. I will talk more about my garden plants in November. I know that some of you are interested in those things and I appreciate you letting me know. I just feel like for October, gardening's really not that scary. <laughs> so I will get back into it Spooky in November. Spooky garden. Scarecrows. The secret in the garden is that it has delicious veggies. <laughs> During the three days of festivities, we will be doing more meditation here. You'll probably find me out in the garden, listening to the leaves falling and thinking forward to what we need more and less of in the future, what plants served me well, what didn't. I also cleaned my altar off on these big holidays, resetting for the next season. This time resetting for winter, it does look a little different because this part of the year is my favorite part of the year. I know as a gardener, that's like probably pretty confusing, but like I hate the heat and I like being cozy. So um, you're gonna see just like a lot more herbaceous smells around my altar. You know, you have a pumpkin for the most of the time. I'm just gonna have like a bunch of herbs. It's gonna get nuts <laughs> around here. Um, and then my wards will be retired and made anew, and my spouse and his runes will probably be besties during this time as well. I picked up some Ancestors Blessing candles and incense from Coven's Cottage, and these will be con in continuous use during these times. I try to keep those who want good for me with me at all times, um, ancestral speaking, but during these times I give thanks to those that planted seeds and trees to make sure that I had fruit and shade in a more modern time. I know that you guys hear me talk about this a lot, but during this season, I do really lay it on thick. I am very particular in who I think. Any of us with pale skin do need to be careful with that. Uh, you know, don't let in those particular demons that haunt some of our family trees. Mm -hmm. uh, you gotta focus on the ones that did good, if it pleases you in these times. I have a few Scottish peasant great-great-grandmothers who I thank for my defenses against the cold uh, quite often going into this season. I will have smoky quartz and amethyst on a selenite moon plate and obsidian in my pocket at all times. Smoky quartz is good for grounding to this plane while working in the metaphysical one. And amethyst is a high frequency stone that likes to cast protection bubbles around its area. So both are really great at this time. And both of those will be on the selenite plate for amplification. And then the obsidian is for protection and amplification for divination in these rituals. We have a small feast every year uh, that is including things that we harvested, including one Granny Smith apple that we waited all year on, and uh, that will be delicious. I'm very excited to eat it. And hopefully a nice bonfire if the weather permits. And what are the celebrations in your hearth, Eerie? Uh, mine is about to be really sad and depressing, <laughs> and also I'm going to slightly trauma unload. So, it's all right. Uh, Let it in. Sorry, friends. <laughs> uh, so for me, Halloween time, Samhain time, on a non-spiritual level, has always been my favorite season just because it feels like the most acceptable time to be weird. Yeah. It's like... Being a weird person is fine yeah. for the next few months because everyone's being weird because it's spooky Halloween spooky time. and we're all in outfits and we're all being weird. Well, some of us are weird and spooky all year round and that doesn't change whether it's cold outside or not. So um, it's nice to feel 
accepted for like a little yeah. while. I'm always going against the social grain, and I'm usually fine with everyone being like, "What? Who's the weird kid?" She's not just fine with it; she likes it. I do well, you know. I am the main character, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, but it is nice for once to be. Oh, I'm. You're in season. This like you're celebrating Halloween. Look at you. Yeah. You're doing the thing instead of being like you know Halloween's over like a bomb ago, which I'm yeah. gonna get as soon as November second, November first. Yeah. So, I'm usually living it up this time of year, just doing my thing, being happy, spending tons of money in every store that I go into. Being a heathen in Chipotle. Of course, <laughs> all day, every day. Spiritually, though, it's a hard time for me. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents, and I both of them are gone now. Um, I lost my mama most recently, 2019. It's hard to believe now. Yeah, it is um, really hard to and, believe. And she passed away in late October. So what that did was fuck up my nice time. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go! <laughs> so... It makes Halloween extra hard for me, yeah. and it makes Halloween being over extra hard for me. Mm. So the next few weeks where I'm changing my countdown calendar and we're getting to like 10 days away from Halloween, I'm sad because I know that it's going to be over mm-hmm. and that the family holidays start mm-hmm. and I am miserable the entire time. I'm gonna say it, I fucking hate Christmas. I hate it. I hate it so fucking Martha much. Mark on your calendars, guys. This is the first time she said it yet on the podcast. <laughs> it is the first time. It will not be the last time. Definitely though. not. Um, I actually call Christmas extended Halloween, so my Christmas tree yeah. is actually Halloween themed. As it should be. And, um, you know, black cats, eyeballs, I got a pumpkin as my tree topper, I made a spiderweb Christmas tree bottom. So... Halloween is a day that I now reserve to be by myself mm-hmm. because part of me is like, I don't want other people to fuck up this one day that I have. <laughs> this yeah. one fucking day. I get that. Uh, so, non-spiritually, I will celebrate by watching a ton of horror, hanging out at home, drinking some pumpkin beer, just enjoying the end of my favorite time of the year because once Halloween is over, I am sad boy time. Sad boy for the next couple months. Spiritually, I do my pumpkin, um, which, you know, stays on my altar and kind of helps keep the happy time spooks, um, spooky time alive for the next few months because it it will last if you take care of it. Uh, I also try to light a candle for my ancestors, specifically my mama, and then there are a few mornings over the next couple weeks where I will make her a cup of coffee Yeah. when I make my coffee That's in the morning really and leave it on the altar for her because making coffee is part of my witchy practice. I actually call my coffee area my third altar. <laughs> uh, it does actually have an altar cloth because I'm doing magic there every morning. Yep. I put my intention into my coffee. And, and that's very important to me. So I try to give that to her because I don't have a ton of roots that I give a fuck about. Yeah. I do give a fuck about that one. That's a so good one. I work very hard to try to at least maintain that. Otherwise, though, I try to remember to share my alcohol with the deities that do still remember me even when I forget them on all of the <laughs> holidays. Aggressively making funfetti cupcakes for Odin is... You know, <laughs> the roots of my practice, <laughs> if, I, if I'm honest. But that's pretty much it. Yeah, well, thanks for being vulnerable on the pod. Anytime, bud. We appreciate it. I mean, this is the time for it. This is the time to 
have those special moments with the people you love most, whether they're with you or not. You know, going into the darker days, we all got to be reminded of what we love. So I think that's all I have on on Samhain. On Sam Hain. <laughs> That's all I got on Sam Hain, folks. Sorry. This has been a very hard episode for me because I grew up with it being pronounced Sam Hain and I'm slowly relearning. But um, that's what you get for living in Ohio, baby, you know? <laughs> Midwest. Midwest. All right, my loves. Well, I hope that you enjoy this season. I hope that you hold close what you find dear. And I hope that you're staying on, Arcadia.